mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world, this is the Gravity Bros Podcast. I'm Alec, this is my brother Lou, and we're back for some Gravity Falls. Lou. Yes. My God. My God. We have ten episodes left, and you can it feels like it. <laughs> we are at the second half of season two, and I really believe that this is when the show really kicks off in terms of plot. Yeah. The tension in this was... I feel like I'm going to say this multiple times throughout this episode, but the tension in this episode was never dropped for a single second. The pacing was incredible. Yeah, it really feels like we've been building to this for a long time. Uh, throughout the series, we've had all of these clues about Grunkle Stan and things that he's doing in the background behind this vending machine, and it really just comes to a head. We get a lot of answers, still a lot of questions, which I think are probably going to be answered in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, but I had a great time. Let's get right into it. The episode starts behind the vending machine. We see Stan working on his technology that he has been just slowly working at throughout the series so far. And he pulls a lever, initiating a timer, which... 18 or, hours, specifically. That's right. It does, in fact, say 18 hours. And I might be a little bit wrong about the lever thing, because I want to say that this timer is the same one that McGucket was seeing from his end. Yes, it was, because we do see McGucket's timer start at the same time as Grunkle's in this little intro, too. Oh, wait, but didn't McGucket at the end of the last episode already have a timer that he showed Dipper? Because My god, you're right. That that's why I'm thinking. I the way is that, that like this a is plot hole. I don't think it's a plot hole. I think that Grunkle Stan pulls a lever, and it is totally unrelated to the 18 hours that we see, and it it just made it look like he initiated this. It, um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that when we saw McGucket's clock, the time was later than 18 hours. So I it think was, it was like it was like 24 or something. Like it was a day or or two left, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was. It wasn't very. Maybe it was even thirty six. But no, that adds up. Maybe McGucket just. I mean, you know, it's timey wimey science, right? But I guess what I mean is, I don't know if it, that timer was already moving down. I feel like Runkle Stan did not initiate that change in time, or if he did, it is confusing. Well, think about it this way, right? Time we perceive to be sequential, but time itself is non sequential and doesn't experience going in either direction. So, theoretically speaking, if this event already happened in the grand timeline of things, then I think McGucket should have been able to actually track it beforehand, even before Grunkle even knew he was doing it. Well, and what's interesting is that McGucket's computer, I believe it is his computer, but yeah. he was still involved with the author, right? So these two things could be directly connected technologically. Oh, that's right. I didn't think about that. That's probably true, too. So in the event that Grunkle Stan was turning this timer on and off somehow, it could be that that is what McGucket was seeing. I don't know. Honestly, I, I hate to open this with a major question that I I'm know. very confused about. Well, now but... that I'm thinking about it, too, I'm like, wait a minute. Did Grunkle start it at a specific time? And was it important that it happened at this specific time? And why is that? I think there are answers to that question, but I don't think I know what they are yet. We might actually get them in the next episode. We may, and I'm not sure if they were at least answered in the actual content of this episode. Maybe it's also the kind of thing where the fans know it now. But I did actually have a couple of questions in this episode about why uh, the timer worked the way that it did. And I, I'm not sure if we officially know the answer. But with that said, uh, 
Grunkle Stan reads a warning about messing with this kind of stuff in whatever journal he's looking at. It may, I think it was journal one. Uh, and he decides to proceed anyway. He knows presumably what he's getting himself into here. Uh, one thing that I actually want to say that is going to couple me through this whole conversation is uh, this is one of the only episodes of Gravity Falls that I distinctly remember the first time I saw it. And exactly what I was thinking and exactly what my emotions were when I was reacting in real time to, like, you know, learning about Grunkle. And they do a really good job at making you question if he's actually a good guy. They do. Even me watching it this time. I, I The whole episode, I was thinking, I would believe he wasn't if yeah. I was in this position. Right? And I did. I totally did, too. I was like... You know, not to spoil how anything ends, but, you know, in real time as this was, you know, developing and we saw him down there. He's like, come on, I've got to do this. No time to wait now. Like, I don't care about the consequences. I'm definitely getting that feeling of like, OK, I still get the like the, the picture of Mabel and Dipper still there. He still loves them. But maybe he's willing to sacrifice things that I wasn't expecting. That's kind of where I was at when I first saw this scene. Me too. It gives big villain vibes it uh, does. throughout. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I had the same thoughts uh, again. So in this intro, I, I think that maybe if he is initiating anything, it is we're seeing the gravity change in Gravity Falls. And we get yeah. this intro of across the town, things just kind of start floating and then they sort of lower back down to the ground. Which I so, realized was actually in the theme song too. Uh. Oh, you're right. Uh, and I had never thought about the phrase Gravity Falls as the name of the town until this episode, to be honest. And really? Yeah, it never occurred to me. Like, Gravity Falls! Like, it fall. Like, that's how it works. Ha 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 You didn't okay. even get that part? No, that is news to me. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh! Gravity Falls! It's falling! It comes to the ground! Come on! <laughs> okay, well, and now we have literal gravity, so, uh... <laughs> look, I, I get it now. And we proceed. So <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, that's our cold open. Uh, it's just Stan sort of putting whatever plan this is in place. Um, and it's, again, a very quick intro. So uh, they've got a lot of content to get to. Yeah. And we see Mabel and Dipper. Uh, Mabel's opening, a, 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 or I guess she was saying to Dipper, oh, I was opening random doors because I'm a freak. And I found this. Uh, and it's fireworks. Um Dipper's excited. They're ready to have a rooftop fireworks party. But uh-oh, the responsible adult Grunkle Stan is here to say, there is no way you're setting off these dangerous illegal fireworks without me. And I got to say, this was A, pretty funny. A lot funnier when I was younger, and I'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to shout out some of the funny names, the brand names that were on these fireworks. I don't know if you noticed any of them. I did not. Good catch. Lawsuit Maker, Cop Callers, Smokey Joker, The Heart Attack, and poor choices. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> right? That's pretty funny. I'm um, so, so glad you wrote that down. The part of me that I dislike is that this scene triggered the heck out of me because literally currently right now, our air quality is over 250 and I'm literally going to evacuate because of the fires like after this recording. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... <laughs> so I, I was... everybody, if you're watching this and you're a kid and you think fireworks are fun... I hate you. 
Yeah, they are literally setting them off in this episode in Oregon, where we live, where we are having fire issues at the very current moment. I've I, never liked oh. fireworks in communities. I love them at Disney and theme parks in places where they're not as much of a, a threat. Um, yeah. Do not like them being set off in my neighborhood. You know, I used to like fireworks, and then I realized how terrible of an idea fireworks are for a million and a half reasons, and everybody being like, oh, come on, blowing stuff up and totally hurting the environment is so fun. And I'm like, honestly, it's not worth it. <laughs> and we're getting the scene immediately. They go up to the roof. Uh, Grunkle Stan asks, hey, Mabel, can you set something on fire for me? She shoots the firework. The cops arrive, and they ask for a permit. Stan just replies... Oh, do you have a permit for being totally lame? And Blubs is like, well, can't argue with that. And, and the, thing, the thing I hate about it is it's all very funny. Like, even watching it with my current fire drama, I'm like, this is still pretty funny. And I hate myself for that a little bit. Yeah, they look out and uh, Stan's like, oh, maybe we should clean this up. There's literal fires emerging, like, that, all over the grass. That scene specifically, I was like, oh my god, it is unrealistic that those things don't just spread all over that entire town in an instant. A hundred percent, but it's okay, because water balloons will fix the problem. We don't need of firefighters. Course. Yeah, yeah, uh, we, we just have water balloons, that's enough. Man, and that is the solution. Back- Back in 2000-whatever, when global warming wasn't so bad that fire season in Oregon made summer's hell. Yeah, like sometimes looking like a literal hellscape, as people have seen in pictures. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, they're throwing water balloons now. It's just a fun summer day. I Taking the fire part out of it, I did I like where we went with this segment. It had a great um, vibe. I really liked it, too. <laughs> it did, because... With all the like wild mysteries that they've had uh, through the show so far, they're really just having a nice day outside. And Grunkle Stan is honestly being as charming as he's ever been. Really starting to love these kids in the, the summer that they've had together. Yeah. It's and a very family moment, and it's very much the calm before the storm. It is. Uh, Stan has an interesting line here. He says it's unnatural for siblings to get along as well as you two. I remember that. Uh, which ends up being important. But I've got a question for you, Lou, because I believe that we have had yeah. the same thing be said about us. Uh, I think do that's you think, fair. I, yes. Do you think most siblings do not get along as well as we do? Is this an anomaly? You know, if I'm going to really extrapolate, I would say that communication in general for people is something that you have to work very hard at. And it's a practice, not a skill that you're born with. And you and I have just probably spent a lot of time trying to consciously practice communicating with each other more than a lot of just family members in the world even remotely think about. Uh, I think that's probably true. We would spend a lot of time because we also, something that's interesting about our upbringing uh, that I think that a lot of people say that they would have hated. We shared a room basically our entire life. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Was, I did too. As a result, we ended up like staying up late and having a lot of really interesting conversations and we did yeah. communicate a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not twins like Dipper and Mabel are here. Yeah. But um, that's why I think that sometimes I find identification with them. I love part of the reason that I love Gravity Falls and why we decided to pursue this show specifically as a podcast is because of how, oh, these are two siblings that we also connect with in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And our, and our like, we want, we, we kind of like discovered our love, like rediscovered our love of lots of things through this show together in a way. So it, it does. I, I got that vibe, too. And a good transition to the line, dumb things forever. <laughs> That's right. Mabel says, there's still plenty of summer to drive each other crazy. And yeah. Stan says, Haha, yeah, plenty of summer left. Mm-hmm. 
And honestly, that delivery really hit. Like it, even even watching it again, knowing what happens, that delivery hits so hard because you can tell that like, God, I kind of wish I had like told them more. Like you see his emotional cracks in that moment. And that's really important because it reminds the audience early in the episode that Grunkle does probably love these kids. Probably. Yeah. And I think there's almost a little bit of grief for him knowing that this somewhat simplistic summer that he's genuinely enjoyed is about to get a lot less simple. Yeah. And uh, I guess not knowing what was going to happen the first time around, I didn't even fully understand that emotion. And it's amazing that he was able to give a read that had that much emotion and made us feel that way as an audience without knowing what he's even talking about. That's right. And he starts to tell him. He starts to tell him something. But he's like, ah, I'm going to go refresh my soda. And uh, at that point, he misses his chance because in comes a SWAT team completely yeah overtaking the entire mystery shack they i think have waddles and caution tape they're so, getting grunkle stan go I'll, ahead i'll be real when i when i wrote down my note while seeing this scene i'm like that's what happens when you start forest fires <laughs> all right smoky the bear <laughs> yeah that's right keep your fireworks to yourselves keep them on the east coast actually i think there are fires everywhere on the east coast now too I would have far preferred the SWAT team been there as a result of uh, the fire that they had created <laughs> rather than the actual uh, doomsday device that allegedly was being created. Right. Uh, which I, I, I skip ahead, but yes, we find out that this is uh, essentially the reason. Uh, the SWAT team is here because they believe that Grunkle Stan is trying to put together a doomsday device. Um, there is some footage of him robbing seemingly a toxic waste facility. Uh, it, you don't see him. You only see like a hazmat suit. Yeah. Um, but Plausible uh, deniability for the audience. Very much. And you see Grunkle Stan say really earnestly in the car to the kids. He's like, wait, for this, like this time, I am innocent. Like, please, you've got to believe me. And we'll get back to that. I have questions about that statement, to be honest. It was real. It felt very honest. You it know? felt and so honest. I totally believed him, 100%. I believed him. Um, you know, his story is that he was restocking the gift shop last night. Um, and she, for what it's worth, Mabel, this is the first of many moments where Mabel, no matter what evidence is thrown her way, just continues to have a little bit of faith uh, in Grungle Stan, which I find quite questionable, to be honest. Really? Um, but... I love her for it. I love that this is Mabel's character, that she still sees the best in people. Um, yeah. I'll explain why I love that even more later. Okay, great. Um, in this moment, Mabel's trying to tell... Uh, I think it's... Um, we've got two government agents that we've seen a couple times. They are back. Uh, we, we got teased with them. We talked about it at the end of the last episode, in the end credits, uh, to know that they're back in town. Um, yeah. I think it's uh, Agent Powers and Agent Trigger. Uh, and they're both great. Every time they read their lines, it's awesome. I'm sure they have a famous voice actor that I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, I, I love both of them. I think they have the same voice actor, but I could be wrong about that. They are, and uh, I, or they're they're great. I don't know if they have the same voice actor, um, but Dipper uh, is surprised to see these two because he thought they got eaten by zombies way back in episode one of season two, um, <laughs> and. I think it was episode one. And they say, well, uh, we we survived, barely. Um, and uh, I, I'm glad that they brought that up because I remember when we watched that episode, we were like, wait, 
it seems like they died. The implication is that they died. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think at least acknowledging that is important. Yeah, I, I think that the fact that, yeah, I agree. That was important for them to do. Um, and as they're taking Grunkle Stan away, you know, as the kids are trying to say that, I think, yeah, that's right. Mabel says, uh, you know, Stan might shoplift here and there, but he's not a super villain. Um, and they're saying, you know, kids, I don't think you know your uncle at all. And that's when yeah. they make the doomsday device reveal. So now my, my other favorite part about this is that before the scene ends, we see Wendy walking into the scene. I wrote to go that to down too, yeah. <laughs> go in to work, whistle, 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 sees the SWAT team. Nope, I'm out. Goodbye. Yep. Maybe not today. Uh, and uh, that's sort of how uh, we, we end that scene there. Next, we get to jail, uh, or whatever this jail-type facility is. I think uh, it's holding. Usually, usually when you... Not, not that I would know anybody. I've never been arrested. That's an important point to make, I feel, for some reason. Uh, but you do get put in holding usually before you go to an actual, like, prison. And I'm sure that for what he's doing, he'd go to actual prison. So I'm sure they just put him in the local holding cell for questions. That makes sense. And he's in, an, yeah, an interrogation room. Uh, yeah. the, a the agent, I think it's Powers, reads him his charges and asks him how he pleads. <laughs> he cannot process the word innocent because, he can't. you know... He never has believed it once in his life. Well, not uh, to mention that, I feel like him tripping over his words is him being like, I mean, look, am I guilty in a way? Maybe, but I'm also innocent in a way, right? Yeah, it's like, guiltocent, mm, in a guilty. Yeah. Can I have my phone call? Yeah. Uh, Which and they do give him. They do. And he picks the right person. Uh, at least in the beginning. Uh, give Seuss a call, who is trying to order drive-thru. Great scene. Uh, and Stan, uh, Stan does have, like, a lot of moments where he's, like, really concise and to the point, and not really comic relief at all uh, through this episode. Um, and I, th this is uh, kind of one of those, because he asks Seuss over the phone, listen, I need you to go guard the vending machine in the Mystery Shack with your life, and yeah. do not let anybody in, no matter what they say. Um, and Cute moment for Seuss. He says, it's time for a repair guy to become a repair man. I really liked that. I did too. As his junior yum yum baby time kiddo meal arrives at the drive-thru. And then as he's like, here's, yeah, and, and the, the, the drive-thru guy hands it through the window. And Seuss doesn't take his hands off the wheel and says, just put one in my mouth. <laughs> and, and the guy does it, which is pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I love that too. Um... And then we sort of get a montage of a couple other things that are happening at approximately the same time. Uh, Dipper and Mabel are in a different car being taken to child services. Yeah. Um, something that's important to note, I'm going to do the Journal 3 segment right now because this is oh. actually the only important thing in Journal 3 at the present moment without spoiling what's about to happen next episode because that's where all of the oh. real meat is. That makes sense. Uh, I would have never expected Child Protective Services was going to be your transition to Journal 3. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't remember seeing this in the episode, but uh, in the car, this is actually when Dipper is writing his page about what's happening. He's like, oh my gosh, uh, Stan's being arrested. Um, oh, yeah, what a cool throwback to the book. I love it. Yeah, he he's uh, feeling like, um, I'm really frustrated because I have defeated all these monsters in this town and still nobody takes me seriously enough to be trusted with secrets. So yeah. he's, he's almost just venting a little bit. And then the journal gets taken from him. You see the moment like, Oh no, like they're about to take the, 
journal is gone. And then the very next page is classified. And they have a, a page where it's essentially just marking this as a classified government document uh, that's being used for investigation. Oh, shoot. I didn't know about it. I'd have to relook at the book. I didn't know about that one. Or I guess I yeah. probably just didn't make the connection to the episode when I was reading it the first time. And of course, they end up getting the journal back. But uh, that is the context of what happens in Journal 3 during that time, which I do find a little bit interesting. Yes, indeed. And the way that they get the journal back, by the way, is Mabel sees Wendy's dad, who's driving a logging truck with a bumper sticker that's, a, you know, like a fan of a certain band. Did you write down the name? I missed the name. I did, yes. It is several times, uh, yeah. which, if you remember, is Mabel's former favorite boy band, which That's was right. created in a lab. That's right. Oh, my God, I forgot. That's right. Yeah, so Mabel, as they're driving by the, the logging truck, she, like, you know, breathes on the window and writes, what was the band name again? I, have to, I can't remember names, everybody. You're good. Several times is overrated. Yeah, several times is overrated. And, uh... I just want to say, from I I I, uh, I actually run a t uh, digital marketing business, and I work with a lot of auto haulers in the auto transport industry. Weird fact: uh, this is on brand. Do not do not mess with truckers; they might just run you off the road. Which is exactly what happens when <laughs> yeah. his dad drives them off the road for this reason. And this was all very intentional by Mabel because this was her idea to basically uh, get them out of this situation. Yeah. Uh, and that's because Dipper had this great idea when he saw a security camera in the car, that maybe if we could get the Mystery Shack's surveillance tapes, we can prove that Stan was really restocking the gift shop last night. Uh, so plan makes sense. They think this over. Mabel comes up with a great idea to basically get run off the road. And yeah, brilliant. Uh, I should also mention, I completely forgot about this in the last episode. There is a Journal 3 insight. Uh, did you know that Archibald Corduroy the ghost from the last episode is a descendant of Wendy's family. No way. That makes all the sense. I love that. It does. And it is, yeah, it's implied at the end of the last Journal 3 entry. And I forgot to bring it up. And I can make the connection now because Wendy's dad is, again, in one of our segments. And they That's look awesome. very similar. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I can't believe I didn't notice that. Yeah, re really cool little fact. Uh, and... After the car is run off the road, uh, there is a crash. Dipper and Mabel are escaping. Dipper even breaks the uh, the agent triggers communication device. Like, yeah. pretty hardcore. But he says to him on the way out, you really think your uncle's innocent? I've seen it all before. One minute they're playing with water balloons, the next they're building doomsday devices. Your I feel like that was, that was a very specific example. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he says, your uncle scammed the whole world. You gonna let him scam you too? And Dipper, you see him questioning it. He's like, I don't want to believe that you're right, but I am a little worried that maybe you're right. So this is when I started feeling like the writers were actually like trying to, to get us to be like, yo, this is actually happening. Like you should be ready for your uncle to be a villain. You know what I mean? I, I was, at this moment, I was actually fully preparing for the villain reveal. You know what I mean? And I was getting really nervous how all of this was going to work out. Because Gravity Falls, at this point, as it was coming out, had really been showing to not fall into a lot of traditional writing tropes. Like, it was very hard to know what was going to happen, especially with all this mystery that they're weaving. And 
I really was, I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time, the first time, and even the second time watching, even knowing what happens. Yeah, dude, I remember too being uh, there for this first episode, or I guess uh, seeing this episode for the very first time. Um, And you do really feel like not knowing what's going to happen. You don't know what's going on with Grunkle Stan. Like, you have no idea, really. Like, you know that there's some overarching mystery, but what ends up happening? Definitely not the thing I predicted. So, I love it. Uh, Dipper and Mabel, we do see Hitch a ride back to the mystery shack by sort of jumping onto another vehicle on the way. Um, and it's a governmental, uh, government vehicle that is heading to the mystery shack to, I guess, help with the investigation that's going on over there. Uh, so they're really quickly just able to get on there with no issues. Um, back in the interrogation room, Stan himself is trying to think of his own way out. Now, here is where he sees anomaly in progress on his watch and things in the room start floating again as they do across the town. Um, we see McGucket back at the dumpster where it's at five hours until investigation or five hours until activation on this timer. And he's saying, oh no, it's the end of times. They're coming. I got to pack away my raccoon wife and run away from my home. Very questionable line. Just saying. Uh, yeah, McGucket is always a little questionable. <laughs> Dipper and Mabel are uh, preparing to get through the SWAT team when they get back to the Mystery Shack. And they ring in episode one throwback, the grappling hook, to sneak right past the SWAT team as they're kind of trying to figure out what one of these Mystery Shack artifacts is. Uh, and they walk into the room, or a room, inside the shack. They lock it, they look for the security tapes, and they find some things. So, I was very ready for the security tapes to prove his innocence right off the bat. I'm just gonna say it. I really was. I I was like, I was totally ready for them to be like, ah, he was here, now we just gotta take the tapes, and then the next part of the plot, I was assuming, was gonna be, like, the adventure of them trying to prove his innocence. That is not what we got. (laughs) It is not what we got. Um, So before they even get in, they see this, I think Mabel calls it an antelabit, but... As Dipper corrects her, it's a jackalope. Uh, She's like, no, that couldn't be right. Um, Jackalope, for those who don't know, uh, a mythological rabbit with antlers. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Native to the Pacific Northwest, I think. Or the United States, or America, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's from North American folklore. That's that's the way we should phrase it, North American folklore. I agree. So uh, basically, she lowers the left antler, realizes that there's something suspicious about this thing, and they get in. They find the footage, and it is Stan restocking at 6.50 p.m., but but then he leaves. Until 4 a.m. 5 a.m. even, I think. Like 4.50, maybe. And the person that walks back into the mystery shack is, in fact, in a hazmat suit, just like we saw in the very beginning. Carrying Uh, tubs of some mysterious liquid. Yep. Mabel says, uh, that could still be anyone. And then he hurts himself and starts swearing. And uh, it's him. Good line. He says, like, golden waffles or something. He goes, oh, wait, I'm alone. I could swear for real. Son of a... And then they cut it off. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I yeah. I appreciate that. 
did love that. Um, Mabel again, optimistic. Okay, so maybe he stole some toxic waste. It doesn't mean he's living a nefarious double life. And then... Um, then they start exploring this secret room a little bit more. And there are tons of fake IDs. Uh, basically showing him with these different names. There's a One new... One of which yeah, go was Andre... It was... It was I'm pretty sure it was Andre 8-Ball Alcatraz. Which Ooh. is not only a reference to Alcatraz, the legendary uh, island prison in San Francisco. I think it's also a cocaine reference. Whoa! Is the Andre 8-Ball thing? Yeah, because, I mean, an 8-Ball... I mean, 8-Ball is a slang term for an eighth of cocaine. Or, a, I think it's some, some amount. I don't know what it is. Dang, uh, that's another thing that they might have gotten in there. Because the censors wouldn't have known to check for something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... There were, like, there was an eight ball, or, and, like, an eight ball is also a magic thing, so I might just be wrong, but, like, considering he was, it's, a, it's like, you know, it's like a crime-related thing, I feel like that was probably intentional. It could be, and frankly, maybe the censors did even know, that's definitely a thing that you can sneak in there without having to worry that a kid is totally. gonna totally. know that that's well, slang. Yeah, that's, that's, you're never gonna, yeah, no kid's gonna know that. Well, unfortunately, there are probably some that will, but most won't. True. Well, Despite these fake IDs, which I'm glad you took a second look at, uh, there is the wildest thing yet. And I legitimately got chills. I forgot this was here. I totally did. A newsletter article that says, Stan Pines dead. Yeah. And Mabel's I literally face, wrote in all caps, what a reveal. Mabel's face drops. And her face is how I was feeling at the time, too. Yeah. Uh we we've got some details there was a car crash there's a caption that reads uh at the bottom right of the article foul play suspected in pine's death um and apparently there were suspicious circumstances around the brakes being cut on the car another I, little detail that i caught did you catch it too no what is it okay at the very bottom right of that uh newspaper it's very small font uh, but it says, in other news, leg warmers are all the rage this week, and we predict this style will go on forever. That's hilarious. So they glossed over that death pretty quick. Also, that that actually gives you a specific date. That had to have been an 80s article. That's true. It does imply that uh, it was, um, yeah, probably the 80s. And there is a separate paper that they find. Again, lots of evidence in this room. Uh, it says, unnamed grifter at large with picture of Grunkle Stan. And they start so, to wonder. This time around, I, I think I think this reveal hits a lot differently for an adult than a kid. Because when I was a kid, I was obviously like, oh wow, fictional plotline, this is crazy. But as an adult, it really sat with me for a second just how unsettling it would be for someone that you are literally living with, finding out that they've potentially not actually been that person they're not even related to you and that they might be a mastermind criminal that's been using you and you have no idea what kind of crazy stuff they've been up to in your own home that is literally so unsettling it's extremely wild it's something that has happened to people in the past you know oh my god do you watch well, crime shows i didn't know that no there's a podcast that i listen to and uh, there's a pretty wild story about basically a scammer who 
met tons of people, different partners through their life and had tons of fake names, always a different person. They never did anything other than like rob people and manipulate them for money. But uh, yeah, it's a real story. And I mean, even the um, plot of Catch Me If You Can uh, is about a guy who managed to sneak around, change a bunch of names and steal all of this money as well. well, I mean, obviously like faking your identity is, is super common. That's an easy one, but like, like catch me if you can, isn't like he's been faking his identity to the people that he's literally living with. That's a whole other thing. That's true. I mean, this is a pretty unique plot device and, uh, you, you see it with Dipper and Mabel's fear, even Mabel still trying to justify, uh, what's going on. Because after the commercial break, because we get dropped with that, and we're just like, whoa. Oh, yeah. um, they wander around the room, they're pacing, and uh, of course wondering, like, if this, if that's not him, like, who have we spent our summer with? This doesn't make any sense. Mabel is saying, there's got to be an explanation. Uh, and Dipper feels like, with all the mysteries in the town, the biggest mystery has been right under their nose the whole time. Like, yeah. You are literally in a place where all of this whack stuff is going on all the time. Yeah. And it beats all of these mythological monsters. It's your own family member that's in the deepest. Yeah. Not to mention one that you were trying to confide in to tell about all of those experiences that you were having. And they were denying them blatantly. It's true. Uh, They find one more thing. It's a little chart on a piece of paper. It looks like a code. Uh... Dipper kind of tries his black light to see if there's more information on it, but there's nothing new. And he says, I've never seen a code like this. Mabel recognizes it, though. It is a code for the vending machine. You know, okay, so there are a bunch of little moments in this episode that make Mabel and Dipper stand out as a team really well. Because there are, it's a subtle moment and you wouldn't think about it, but that's something that, that's a code nonetheless that Mabel noticed that Dipper did not. And, like, that shows a little bit of an oversight of his over-analytic mind and how Mabel's more simple approach to life actually complements Dipper in his goals. Oh, great, great point. And it was the same thing when they were in the car. You yeah. Know? Dipper was the one who thought we should get the security footage. Mabel is the one who said, you're right, I'm going to find us a way out. Yeah. And it's, it's the fact that they're both working off of each other's strengths in a way that it doesn't feel heavy-handed. It's just very natural. It's just so well done. It's organic. And it really plays to the themes of the show and the characters and what their emotional struggle is. Absolutely. Uh, so we go back to the interrogation room at this point. Uh, Agent Powers tells uh, Grunkle Stan, Chopper is on the way from Washington, and I'm going to enjoy putting you away. And Stan is realizing that perhaps the time is going to matter here in a second. Uh, hey, could you stick around maybe for just a minute, 30 seconds? Uh, yeah. And he's like, no, no, you've been running your whole life. It's finally, or your time is finally up. Not even a bathroom break. Uh, and a- the agent says, you've got a flight to catch. Grunkle Stan, as the watch reaches zero says, yeah, well, so do you. And we see the gravity change again. And I'm finally starting, I think, as we're talking this through, to understand how this is working. Where at different times, an anomaly is detected and the gravity is changing. So I don't know if this is something that Stan is initiating so much as there's different times where this is happening and he's just waiting for that time. 
I guess it is unclear whether the device that he's working with is creating these anomalies. Nah, I'm pretty sure the device that he turned on is the reason all of this started happening. It did seem like he was messing with it. Yeah, well, it's on. Because remember, he, that's why the that's how the timer turned on. Okay, that's true. So it's already on. Um, yeah, I think it, it could be stood... I think it could, we could conclude that the, the device is the reason why these are happening. But I don't know. Maybe there was just going to be this rift that was going to happen anyway. And that's why he turned it on, just so that it could react to it. I guess we no, technically I, don't know. I agree with you that it's the device. I think that the part that I get a little bit unclear about is whether he's initiating the specific moments of gravity changes or if those are happening at just random intervals uh, because the device is on. I know? think that's it. And that he's more using the intervals as timestamps so that he knows when he needs to be where he needs to be. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I love this sequence when the gravity changes. Dude, this is so freaking sick. This is my, now gravity falls. I, we've said this multiple times in this podcast is so good for their action sequences. And this is probably actually one of the best I've seen because the way that they do the gravity, you actually like, it, it might seem, when you're watching it, you might take for granted how amazingly it's done. But doing anti-gravity in animation is not that easy because you need to create a sense of gravity to contrast with it, right? Yeah. So the fact that all of these characters and all of these objects are all floating in the same way to where you are believing the sense of weight and how everything is shifting, that is such a feat of animation, especially for a TV show rather than a movie. Yeah, that's true. Um. It and I also, I, I guess it, it almost reminds me of an action movie in a way. Yeah, because uh, action movies are great based on choreography if they're good, right? Yeah. It's managed to almost find a fight sequence that is different than something that you've seen before, and that's what we're getting in this gravity moment because the table sort of floats up, and Gwengel stands, sort of kicks. He's able to finagle himself in a way to get the key, and. They unlocks his handcuffs. I think he steals a wallet from somebody. At first I thought it was his wallet, but now I'm wondering if that was somebody else's wallet. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and then he escapes. And, okay, then when he gets out, it does almost seem like he turns the gravity back off. So, I, again, I'm still not sure about that, but... Oh, I thought that was just a timing thing. It may have been. Uh, and then he does another really smart thing. Gives $100 to a taxi driver and tells him, go as far away from the mystery shack as possible and don't stop if the cops start chasing you. Uh, it was pretty funny that the taxi cab guy just looks at the money and goes, eh, all right, and just starts taking off. Yeah, well, and I say it's smart within the context of a cartoon, but I think yeah. that expecting them to not turn around for the cops is probably not realistic. Uh, I, I loved the mechanism, though. I loved that, I know, oh, man. I'm... I'm going to pretend like I'm escaping and they're going to chase somebody else instead. Like, that's clever. You know, in the land of Uber drivers, I wouldn't be so sure. But back in the day, taxi drivers were pretty hardcore. Not going to lie. Yeah. And maybe in Google Stan's day, that was the case. But it, still 2010s. I, I, I don't know. True. Or, actually, they're not in New York. Is it the 2010s? I feel like, I want. Hmm, what year does Gravity Falls take place? I need to know this. Take place. Like yeah, in real time. I thought so too. Okay, yeah, it it does real time. Cool. Twenty twelve. So a little bit risky, but it works. I mean, and... you, you would never actually even find a taxi in such a rural place in Oregon. So that is so true. <laughs> That's pretty convenient. Um, 
But I didn't think about it that hard. Now Let I alone am. outside a police station. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's, oh, I think I might try to pick somebody up here if they escape. Yeah, just in case. I mean, maybe he'll get paid well, though. So. Yep, he did get paid well. Uh, oh, maybe that's why Stan needed to steal the wallet. Oh my god, Stan stole someone else's wallet and gave the cab driver their $100. That's so funny! Seems that way. Also, if anybody knows about cab fees, $100 is actually not even that much. Gosh, that's true. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that I haven't had to pay for a taxi in America for a long time. I did it in Europe, but the norms are different over there in certain oh, places. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, taxi can. If you, if you go on a long cab drive, that stuff will cost you over $100 for sure. It can, yeah. Uh, so... One of the agents goes back to the Mystery Shack to tell the SWAT team that Stanford Pines has escaped and he's at large. Terrible, terrible move from them right now. Yeah. They all decide to leave the Mystery Shack when he's at large and don't even think to have somebody stay because where is he the most likely to go? Literally back to his own home, right? I mean, I... I... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that most detectives say they're the, you know, it's like a cliche that they usually come back to the crime. Uh, but I mean, you know, if they had had a, if they had had a small team of secret agents stay behind, it would have been way harder to write this rest of the episode, probably. I know. And I did get that feeling here with the taxi as well. It's like, we've got a plot device to make sure that everything gets where it needs to go in a 22 minute episode. And, and for what it's worth, the tension of this episode and the pacing and plot have been so on fire that it's not like it takes you out of it. Like I didn't even think about the taxi being out of place until we were talking about it on the podcast. But when you're in the moment of the episode, it's, it's done so well that you're not thinking about the implausible which is, you know, every cartoon's going to have some implausible and making you not think about it is the strength of the show in this moment. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, so all of the SWAT team leave uh, in their various cars and helicopters, leaving the mystery shack open. And this is when Sue sneaks in and starts guarding the vending machine. And it's like, all right, Sue, remember the plan. Protect the machine, earn Stan's trust, get legally adopted by Stan, change name to Stan Jr., I didn't know that Seuss was so emotionally invested in this man. Like, I did, but I didn't to the extent, you know? It's Yeah, it's been implied. This is definitely the hardest core it gets. Um, and I think that that's important context because it makes the events that are about to happen really significant. Definitely. You know, I, I, I forget. There was definitely a moment, I think, in the Seuss birthday episode where we did start to understand, and I don't remember if it was through Journal 3 or another moment, um, that he... Oh, it was in the, sh the episode proper, when he got hired by Grunkle Stan in the first place, and he's a literal child. Um, oh, yeah, and he was really you know, excited about it. That's right. Yeah, and we see that Stan is a father figure to him. Dipper and Mabel now approach, and we get this context of, oh, Seuss understands his mission, uh, but they tell him, Seuss, something really big is going on. Stan is hiding a dangerous secret. You got to step aside. Uh, Dude, it really, this scene hurts me to watch because you really don't want to see, like, Seuss and the, and the kids have had such a, like, fluid, kind relationship the whole show. And with this much emotional investment, it really hurts you to see them, like, on opposite sides of something. Yeah, it does. I mean, and Dipper is, like, firm with him. Mabel is kind of trying to negotiate, like, we need to get in there to prove this is just a big mis misunderstanding. But Sue says, I promised Stan I would guard this with my life. So 
Mabel walks up and she's like, oh, sorry about this, Zeus, and blows glitter in his face, which is my worst nightmare. I <laughs> hate glitter. Dude. Me too. Oh, glitter, unless, sticky but, things. Unless keep it it's away. vegan and if it's vegan and bio biodegradable, I'm fine with glitter. But my God, dude, when I was in college, I cannot tell you how many times one person with glitter would come into the house. And after that party, the glitter was, you can't get rid of it. It's everywhere. If you're one of those people, it's not funny. Nobody likes you. <laughs> <laughs> and Seuss definitely does not like this uh, because now he's basically blinded and Dipper and Mabel are all up on him trying to force him to move. Uh and Dipper is able to enter the uh, vending machine code, despite Seuss guarding it. And then the game changes a little bit. You know, yeah. Seuss has wanted to guard it, but now he sees a literal secret passage open with a secret staircase. And I think the curiosity gets the best of him. Absolutely. At that point, he's like, well, I failed the mission. Might as well see what's going on. Yeah, and he also says, it's like something from a video game. And Seuss loves video games, so you know he's going to explore that. Absolutely. Uh, but Dipper replies, or like a nightmare. And they take an elevator down. There's a lot of video games like that, too. True. <laughs> uh, we do briefly see Stan running outside here and saying another vague thing. I've got to be there when it happens. Yep. Uh, and the elevator does now at this point reach Stan's big room of computers. So we're back with Dipper, Mabel, and Seuss. Yep. They see the timer counting down to five minutes. And everybody really concerned and really confused. Yep. And Dipper even finds the other two journals. And the amount of distrust and betrayal that Dipper must feel in this moment, first of all, the way that the voice actor reads it clearly delivers, you know, how, how much it would be. But because of our emotional investment with Dipper and how much we've seen him be passionate about this and communicate his passion to Grunkle and try consistently to get his Grunkle's help and assistance with this project, I... It's like all of the betrayal just felt so ridiculously hardcore and like, you know, like, oh my God, I've been talking to this guy this whole time, sharing all of these secrets and he's been backstabbing me. You know what I mean? That's like, how else could you feel? That is the only way. And God, they did it so well. I like, I sit there feeling Dipper's anger, like, dang, like, yeah, you should feel wrong. That's awful. You know? And what's interesting about this too, Dipper does feel super wrong. At this point, he's like, Stands on my blank list. You know, I, yeah. I'm out on Grunkle Stan. This guy's a liar, a cheat. Mabel is still trying to be compassionate and not really believe it. And I think Seuss is somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah. And they're all just not really sure what's going on here. They're not sure what to do. Obviously, there is a menacing looking timer counting down. Yeah, uh, the audience's heart is pounding. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, I, I think Dipper even asks if he's had these journals the whole time and, and never told us, like, wh why would he have them? Like, what is the reason? And yeah. Seuss speculates. I actually think good speculation from Seuss. Maybe he's the author. Um, but Dipper is so in his head right now and so yeah. sure that he's out on Grunkle Stanley. He's like, no, how about he stole them from the author? More likely. Yeah, and and on all honesty, that is a more likely proposition given what everything we know about everything right now. You know what I mean? Because I, I feel like it would be pretty unlike. I remember hearing Sue say maybe he is the author, and I'm like, no, that doesn't. That I don't think that would make sense. Even back then, I was like, no, I don't think he's the author. That, that I don't get that. But I didn't. I I didn't know what it was. I'll tell. I'll say that much before we reveal it. 
I definitely spent a lot of time in the first time I watched this series thinking that Stan maybe was the author. Um, really? But, okay. But in this moment, as soon as Sue says, speculates it right here, that's not the reveal that they're looking for. And I feel like that immediately would point to me and say, okay, now I don't think it's him. It's like in a okay, mystery yeah. novel where you're thinking it's somebody, but then they get incriminated too early. And it's yeah. like, nah, this isn't how they're going to do this reveal. It's, yeah. it's not them after all. That's sort of how I felt. Um, so Dipper speculating, maybe Stan has fake IDs because he's a master criminal and this machine is the master plan. Um, so he opens all three journals, reveals a map, uses the black light, and across the journals it reads, the machine was meant to create knowledge, but it is too powerful. The device, if fully operational, could tear our universe apart. I was wrong the whole time. It must not fall into the wrong hands. If the clock reaches zero, our universe is doomed. Total global destruction. Yup. Uh, yeah. Interesting little, um, I would call it an error here. Uh, we, I wrote this before I listened to what was coming next because I wanted to make sure I had it for the podcast. Then I listened to Dipper repeat it after they uh, zoom out. And he actually reads it differently with some words that are not written on what they show us. No um, way! And the the one line that he reads that is not on the journals is, I was deceived. Oh. And I find bizarre. that very interesting that that made the script, but it was not included on the books proper because that's actually an important detail. Yeah, that is a really important detail, actually. Like, who deceived you? What is yeah, the deception? That's and a big I, deal. I wonder if that's properly answered. I think that's something I want to think about as we oh, approach. Oh, yeah, we know the answer episode. to that. Well, no, we I, we, want, we definitely know the answer. I won't tell you because we're keeping the spoiler free, but we we one hundred percent know how he was deceived because this is the author writing okay. that. Remember, right? Well, I know that the author was deceived about a lot of things, but I didn't necessarily know if it was related to this device. Like, I don't remember that. Do you remember why the device was created? No, so that's probably there why. There you go. Okay. <laughs> And I'm, I'm excited to rediscover it. Me too. Uh, so Sue says, oh no, it's the final countdown, just like they always sung about. I loved that way more than I should have. <laughs> so good. Um, there is, at this point, a minute 30 left. Dipper sees what looks like a spinning portal of some kind, but also a manual override panel. And they all run over, and each of them is able to pull a lever to reveal a shutdown switch. Okay, this is do this is good. You know, we got a minute 30. But as he goes to press it, Stan runs in, shouts, don't touch that button. The uh -oh. tension. The tension. This is the peak of it all. This whole episode, this whole show feels like it's been building to this moment. And literally one of the greatest moments watching a cartoon live that I can even remember from my childhood. <laughs> Dude, I totally agree. I Watching this for the first time, it was like, what on earth is about to happen? And at this moment, there's one minute left. Yep. Uh, Dipper, of course, asks, why should we trust you? He says, you just have to give me time to explain. But the gravity gives out, and they all start floating. Yep. Uh, including the town and the government agents. We're still seeing floating happening around the whole town of Gravity Falls. And we are now at 30 seconds. And once everyone lands, Dipper and Seuss are further away from the thing that the, the button that can stop this from happening. But Mabel is hanging on, and she has the power to stop this. Yes, she has the chance to shut it down. And 
She's thinking about it. Stan is trying to stop her, but Seuss tackles Stan. And he says, yep. you know, Stan's like, what are you doing, Seuss? He says, I got a new mission now to protect these kids. Oh, God, that hit me so hard. I love it. I loved it so much. Even despite whatever else is going on, Seuss, in my opinion, this is the correct read based on the situation. I agree. Uh, and well, he... So we're going to have technic- to talk- te- technically no, actually Le- let's get through this because I really want to talk about this decision. Yeah. Um, we got, we got to do this reveal. Right. So Stan is begging Mabel not to press the button. Uh, Dipper yeah. has also, you know, tackled him at this point and he's saying, Mabel, you have to do this. Like the, basically the world could end. And you know, we have all the evidence in the world to say that this guy cannot be trusted. Um, but Stan you know, asks her to remember this morning when he wanted to tell them something. It's like, I wanted to say that you were going to hear some bad things and some of them are true, but everything I've worked for, everything I care about is for this family. Um, which again, sounds like a villain line. Yeah, it's like, I'll sacrifice everything for this family is, is a villain thing to do, in a way. Yeah, and Dipper's like, if he is lying, this thing could destroy the universe. Yeah. Uh, you gotta Honestly, listen to your head. That's what Dipper says, listen to your head. Which but is you a Dipper line. That's what Dipper would do. He would do that. You know what I yes. mean? And yes. that's and and that's why I brought up that thing earlier. It's because everybody, Mabel, as she looks like she's about to hit that button, releases her arms and floats upward. And you can even hear the music change when she does this. She goes, Stan, I trust you. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, like when you're going down a roller coaster and sometimes when you go down a roller coaster, you have that like, whoa, but sometimes you're just like, I accept the drop and you just close your eyes and you feel it. And it doesn't have that same rush. It's like the tension gets released, but it's almost released in like an empty floaty way. And like it hit in such a great way. I love how they did that. It just felt perfectly paced. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment, the first time I watched it where I did think Stan was innocent. Leading up to it, even when he tells her, look into my eyes, do you really think I'm a bad guy? That still feels like a manipulation line. Yeah, it does. It does. But I mean, like, the the reason I knew that at least Mabel couldn't have been totally wrong was because, like, okay, like, what's going to happen? This bomb goes off, and then there's, like, uh, well, that was Gravity Falls, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. The world got destroyed. Mabel made the wrong call. For what it's worth, it looks like that for about three seconds. That's the next thing that we see when the timer goes off is this cataclysmic-looking, apocalyptic, bomb-looking thing just lighting up the sky. And we almost see them appear to be, like, torn apart as atoms. Yeah, Yeah, like, like, the, the animation is sick. They all turn blue. Their faces get all disordered. It's very cool. <clears throat> but the world is not destroyed. Everything falls Yay! back to the ground. Maybe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everything falls back to the ground, and in walks a figure through the portal. A figure with six fingers. Yep, that he puts right on the journal. And Dipper goes, who is this? Grunkle, or who we thought was Grunkle. I guess we should probably have been saying who we thought was Grunkle this whole episode. Um, he says... That's the author. My brother. And Seuss faints. <laughs> yeah. It, Mabel even says like, uh, is this the part where one of us faints right now? And Seuss is like, oh, dude, I've definitely got you. <laughs> Which was uh, a good comedic tension to break up what just this whole episode. Because uh, that's the last line. The episode ends after Seuss faints. 
Yeah, and our end credits is just two little boys sitting on a swing. Yep. Who we can probably assume are the, the two brothers as kids. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. So. Woo! I am somebody who is more like Mabel in the sense that I like to tr believe in people. And I look at the optimistic side of life and I trust people. I would trust Grunkle Stan to a large degree. And to be honest with you, even though things worked out, I believe that she made the objectionably, like, objectively wrong call. Really? I think it's results-oriented to say that it was a good idea to trust Grunkle Stan in this moment. They had all the information in the world to know that this was a bad idea. And yes, she was right. Her gut well, was right. not all the information, because, I mean, her complex emotional relationship with her Grunkle is also information. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Base, she, you're right. Her experience knowing him yeah. is where that information comes from. I love that. I love that's really, really a good point. Um, but I understand where Dipper was at here, and I think again, Seuss, I thought did the right thing. You these literal journals, the mystery that you have solved, you solved the mystery. It says this thing will destroy the universe. Do not let it yeah, explode. It's true. But you know what? I think Seuss made the right call. Because it gave Mabel the call. That's why I think Seuss made the right call. Not because not because of the, you know, preventing of the apocalypse, but because Mabel was the only person who wasn't so heady that they could actually think clearly and make the objectively right decision based on what happened. Uh, that's true. That's a good point. Um, and no one else would have done it, except for Grunkle. But we're, you know, I mean, he knows what's going on, so that doesn't count. Well, that's fascinating. You you kind of talked me into a little bit. Like, you, you know, I'm wrong. She did have contact. She did have information. It was the information that she knew from him. Well, and that's why her role was so important and her contrasting emotional character to Dipper is so important. Because if she hadn't been there, they'd have just stopped it and that'd have been it. And we would have never known what happened. What a moment. Yeah. Uh, I, one, one of the best moments of the show so far, and it is this big culmination of everything that we've gotten up to this point, to this grand reveal, finally yeah. meeting the author and finding out that this is Stan's brother. We've got nine episodes left. What is coming? And if show? you want to know what we think about the author and the brother and the reveal, well, you're just going to have to go to the next episode after this one because they don't talk about it. So we're not going to talk about it. That's right. We're going to have to save it for the next episode in two weeks. Yep. Uh, but I want to transition this. I'm guessing, based on the conversation that you've had so far, that Mabel gets your two points this episode for the mystery. I Black. gave her my one point, actually. Okay, so did I. And it was because even though I thought she made the wrong decision objectively, I still loved that she did it as a character. Totally. Well, I still I thought that the reason I gave her the point was because I thought that that was something that only Mabel would do, and it just like made her so important in the dynamic. You know what I mean? In yeah, a, in a absolutely. very like Mabel's emotional character, like her emotional development as a person is why this decision happened. And I love that so much. Uh, I give my two points to Stan, though. He, you do. He, yeah, because this he was the crux. If it wasn't like Stan is the reason this whole show has really been interesting, all things considered. You know what I mean? Like all the paranormal, like I would have liked this show completely if Stan had if this whole plot line hadn't existed. Like if it was just the kids hunting paranormal stuff, I would have still loved it. But it was the plot line with Stan in the basement and all of that that makes all of this tension work. And it's the reason this episode works at all in the first place and is so strong. You know what? I'm changing my plan. 
I agree. Shoot. For that reason, because I rated this a little bit too more along the lines of, uh, oh, this is what I liked from the characters. But it's true. If we're just giving points to the character of the episode, it is Stan. Yeah, um, totally. I, I had my two for Seuss. Um, I, I, okay, I do love that choice. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that was the original plan. Um, but it, it is because I, I really loved the moment where Seuss made his choice but they all made a choice every single person in this thing was doing it was having an amazing character moment dipper too you know i felt like dipper was great in this episode because he was doing uh what he felt was right and i believe was making very good educated decisions um and frankly he should be taken more seriously because i i think that dipper is responsible and good at this um I agree. but grunkle stan is this episode he in some ways is this show uh when yeah. you think about it that way and this episode exemplifies it more than any of the others so you kind of have to do two for grunkle here i totally i totally think so i think it's it's worth honorable mention to seuss though uh absolutely uh let me uh just talk about the ciphers really quick because there's some interesting things yeah um so in the cold open, apparently there is a page in journal one that Stan is looking at. So you're not even going to be able to see this in journal three. Um, there's a cipher that uh, reads when you translate it. My compass goes haywire the closer I get to them. Does this mean what I think it does? The answer may be underground. I don't even, I'm not even sure if I know what that means. Wait, wait, save again from the beginning. I want to make sure that I didn't miss anything. My compass goes haywire the closer I get to them. Does this mean what I think it does? The answer may be underground. And I should also specify, uh, this journal one page is opened to the topic of floating cliffs. So I'm guessing it has something to do with that. It might just be another journal entry that the author made in his early mysteries, where he's, Whoa. Talk he's talking about like, oh, this is how I'm getting out of these floating cliffs. Whoa. I actually don't even know what to think about that. I'd have to think harder. The thing that I think about it is that is as deep a cut as you can possibly imagine. Pulling a yeah. random page from Journal 1 from a mystery that the author experienced and have it have some kind of, like, translation. Maybe there's some implication to it, but even if there's not, I just think that's beautifully random. I'm wondering if maybe that's how he found the spot to, like... Uh, spoilers. Just skip three seconds. Uh, or five seconds or something. Um, I'm wondering if that's like him finding the place to build the mystery shack. Oh, okay. It could be. Because if he'd probably been looking for a place to set up that device and it is underground. That would be really cool. I like that theory. I'm going to roll okay. with that for now. Okay. Okay. Um, Very fun cipher because you would almost never know to look for it. And I love that somebody did. That's a good um, one the government vehicles have license plates that just look like regular license plates because they're J X Y D P H Q W. Right. But okay. they're secretly a cipher and they just translate to government. That's pretty funny. I, I appreciate that as just like a little Easter egg. I, I can't believe they went through the trouble to do that. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. Um, the end credit cryptogram reads the original mystery twins. Uh, love it. which I, I love that. Love that. I really love that. That's very cute. And the last one in that last like second that we get, uh, on the page, it says 30 years. And now he's back the mystery in the mystery shack. Damn. 
Man, anybody so. who was reading those as the show was coming out and figuring them out must have felt like they were so brilliant and discovered so much cool stuff. That's awesome. That's so true. I can't imagine being one of the people who was working on the ciphers and putting yeah. the work in and in being the time. first to the wiki to yeah uh to share oh man that's be uh, an exciting time that was an exciting time to be a fan of animation was uh because yeah like this adventure time and steven universe and over the garden wall all came out in around the same you know like five ten years uh i'm envious of the time. people that got to be there for the fandom that were part yeah. of it and participating like Me that too. just sounds great and i'm sad that nowadays our, our television or i guess our cartoons because a bunch of them are on streaming services we're not really getting the same hype level of having episodes yeah. come out one at a time and i i miss that man remember the jimmy timmy power hour and how every kid on the planet watched that and talked about it at school the next day or at least in the united states <laughs> yeah the fairly odd parents jimmy neutron crossover for those who were not from that era but yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was like one of the biggest episodes in television history at the time. And I'm not going to say it's dead. Like Owl House was able to do this uh, successfully and build a fandom around it. Amphibia too. That's true. But part of it is, I think, because it got canceled and that gave it more publicity. Uh, maybe, but I know people loved Owl House from the get-go. They um, did, but the early cancellation and the way that they made season three, three episodes, I think added a lot to the communal health of it. Sure. Even so, I guess what I'm saying is I really hope that weekly episodes are not dead. I hope that we stay on that track at least for a while longer so that there can still be shows like Let's Steven see. Universe and Gravity Falls that are able to live in this super cool way. Will consumerist addiction destroy our, cons our love of art and the ability for us to create actually good things? We'll find out over the next 10 years. Yeah, we'll be back in 10 years to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So let's talk about Journal 4. I know what I want to talk about today. Okay, what we got? What we got? The Jackalope. <laughs> it has and here I am ready to talk about multiple dimensions. It has been a while since we got to talk about a proper cryptid. You know, that's how this show started. We were originally just doing cryptids, and it turned into bigger mysteries because... Uh, you know, we were getting a lot of non-creature episodes, right? A lot of conspiracy yeah. things. Uh, but we have a cryptid, kind of, where the yeah, jackalope head was on the wall. Rabbit with antlers. Uh, do you want context on the jackalope? Sure. Great. So, the jackalope is a mythical animal of North American folklore, described as a jackrabbit with antelope horns. Uh... A lot of the reason that this grew in popularity wait after... Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to look something up. I think that there's a reason why this doesn't make sense. Yep. Uh, antelope are indigenous to Africa, India, the Middle East, and Central Asia, but they are not in America. So the jackalope name had to have come from white people, not indigenous folklore. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Just, I just felt like that was worth throwing out there. Wait. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold on. So, if it's North American folklore, we do have both jackrabbits and antelopes in North America, right? Are you saying... No, that no there, there's no... There are not antelopes in the United States. In North America at all. That's completely in well, different country. But what about the literal even. American song where they sing, uh, where the deer and the antelope play... I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, 
have okay i'm gonna google have antelope ever been in america i feel like they were in wyoming or something like that no dude they are from africa and asia 100 percent. well maybe originally have antelope ever lived in of course it tries to autocorrect to oregon i'm just gonna say america i'm fairly certain no okay pronghorns uh are the only living species in which is okay. not an antelope no, it says AKA antelope, speed goat, and antilocapra americana. The thing uh, I'm looking at literally says, though not an antelope, it is colloquially known in North America as the American antelope, but it is a prongbuck or pronghorn. Okay, so we have to assume that a pronghorn is what was meant by antelope in the origin of the uh, well, jackalope. Well, actually, I think that it's more important to say that uh, the name Jackalope was definitely something that, like, white, you know, cultural destroyers, they created that name. I don't think antelope is something that indigenous Americans would have even thought of because the word antelope came from Europe. Okay, great point. Also, uh, a lot of the reason this legend evolved the way that it did is because of Jackalope taxidermy mounts. Uh, which were basically manufactured by taxidermists and oh. sold to people to be like, oh, look, it's a jackalope. Not necessarily dishonestly, just like uh, it's an art piece or something, which is kind of messed up in its own way. Oh, um, yeah. What I'm looking up is that it actually got popular in the 1930s. Uh, also, there is a disease that certain jackrabbits can have, which almost make them appear to be able to have horns in different parts of their body. Oh, whoa. Uh, it's a virus. So if there was anything to the origin, um, I it seems as though maybe some people saw antlers that way and thought, okay, that's what this is. Um, the jackalope surprisingly popular cryptid i feel like a lot of people have heard about it it's made its way into a lot of media and i have no idea why because even if it was just a jackrabbit with antlers there's so many wild or more interesting cryptids out there like the idea of bigfoot or the loch ness monster is so much more intriguing than a rabbit with horns right yeah but it's easier to pull that one off that's true and when i walked into this discussion i was thinking okay the jackalope um, seems as plausible as any cryptid that we could possibly talk about because it's literally just a regular animal that has an anomaly. Like, we have those kind of uh, things all the time. Uh, but oh my gosh, apparently usually they just use deer antlers. They didn't even use pronghorn antlers. Uh, yeah, I saw that too. Uh, <laughs> so, funny. despite the fact that in theory this seems as likely as it could be, I have not found a single jackalope photograph that somebody thinks that they've taken. I've oh seen God. almost nothing about proper sightings that people have had of okay. that jackalope. I, I just want to say how freaking funny it is that the probably most likely to be real thing, if you just looked at it at surface level, ends up being the least likely to be real of everything that we've talked about. That's what I'm saying, dude. I think I got to give this a one. That's so funny. It's not even from, from Native American folklore. It's from like... It's from European culturalized, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know That's exactly so what funny. you mean, and I agree. Yeah, so... I would say there's a 0% chance of this one being real. <laughs> All right, well, I'm what very glad thing. that we got to talk about the jackalope today. I want to say 
Uh, if you're still listening at this point, I'm assuming that you're a fan of the podcast. Uh, every other week, the weeks that we are not releasing a Gravity Bros episode, we are releasing an episode of Expedition Cartoon, where we talk about whether we would live in certain cartoon worlds, which yes. has been so fun. And again, so fun. if you're wanting to listen weekly anyway, and you used to listen weekly, why not just check out the other podcast that we've got going on? Because uh, eventually we are going to run out of Gravity Falls episodes and the, our podcasting is going to go somewhere. Uh, yep. So get in now because we really would love to have all of you stay on board with the next project that we're involved in, which happens to be uh, Expedition Cartoon. And the reason I bring it up right now, Lou told a story about seeing a real UFO uh, yep. on the most recent podcast episode that we did. And we think that a lot of you who listen to this podcast would be very interested to hear. We may share it on this one, too, at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, that's out there right now. I think it was episode five, the Scooby-Doo episode. Yes. Uh, we talked about it. So. Yes, which also is a great episode. It's actually one of my favorite things we've ever recorded. And um, everybody, it happened like a week ago. And I'm just going to use it as a plug. I'm not telling you anything about it. You have to go watch Expedition Cartoon to hear the story. Okay, or listen to Expedition Cartoon. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. I, I can say watch now, too, because Expedition Cartoon is actually now available on YouTube for listening, if that's your preference. Woohoo! Go like and subscribe! Yeah, all right. Well, this has been very fun today, everybody. I can't wait yeah. to get to the last nine episodes, the final stretch of Gravity Falls. This podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network, with lots of other rewatches of shows and movies, and... You can find more of Lou and I by watching Jester Brothers Cartoon Theater on YouTube. Follow us on social media by clicking the links in the description. And uh, leave us five-star iTunes reviews. Makes a big difference toward our growth. Uh, and actually, if you're feeling especially nice, leave us some for uh, Expedition Cartoon as well. Because that'll help that one grow. Uh, thanks to Tesla Scarborough for our cover art. We'll see you all next week. Happy sleuthing! <laughs>